Well, Joel and I are glad to be with you. You've got all these extra chairs set up. Things are happening out at Beecher Island. And we're just so thrilled to, to be with you and, and uh, take part in your, in your uh, worship service this morning. The, uh, I guess that's up, up the right way. Okay, real good. You weren't in Sunday school. Uh, oh, thank you, Garrett, for doing that. And uh, you give them to uh, high schoolers and uh, so forth. I just want to make a, a, a little note about the uh, notes that we hand out. Sometimes people try to follow us when we're doing a message, and it can get confusing. And I, they really work well as a, a review. You can take them home, and the answers are printed down on the back of the last page. So if you find it's uh, frustrating to, uh, to try to keep up and, and find the right notes, just put it away and do it when you get home. If you have trouble with it, ask your wife. She'll help you. You know how that goes. Just a few weeks ago, of course, we celebrated resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, and of course, the uh, the cry of victory of every Christian is that Christ is risen. Uh, what would we do uh, when you think of the sorrows of life and how it ends? If you didn't have the hope that we have in Christ, it, I tell you, life would be filled with despair. Uh, and I, I think of the scripture where Jesus promised, he said, because I live, you shall live also. And uh, that's the greatest hope that we have. I uh, lost a brother in, in December. Uh, he was one of my best friends. Uh, he was five years older. Uh, they were twins. And uh, one of them joined the Marine Corps, so he was gone. But uh, my brother Dave was just a, a buddy that I'd hunt with and shoot bow and arrow with. And it's a wonder he even liked me. One day he, we were pulling arrows out of the barn. We missed the target. And he's pulling an arrow out. He says, here, Chuck, shoot my finger. And I just went like this, and I got his finger. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't do any damage. But I'm a pretty good shot from, you know. I would have fit in good at Beecher Island a century ago, right? But... Um, the Lord took him home, and I tell you, without the hope that because he lives, we shall live also, we'd really be in despair. Uh, sometimes Christians uh, lose sight of and forget the fact that the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is tied into Jewish feast days, and in particular, the Feast of, of, of Passover. And um, I, I think it's good for us to, to remember these things. And actually, there are seven of those feasts. They still commemorate them today, Jewish people. And they're, they're given to us in Leviticus chapter 23. They're called the Feasts of Jehovah. Um, and it's those seven feasts, by the way, if you're interested in Bible prophecy, this is where it starts. Now, don't choke over those notes, because I'm only going through the first four today. You, you, the last three you can figure out. You can do that at home, or we can talk about that next time we come. But... Uh, those feast days are really a good, a good understanding of those helps us to understand Bible prophecy. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the feast of Passover by offering himself as the Passover lamb. Now, let me give you a little background about that. It's found in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, and uh, you can either look up the scripture and follow along or else I printed it for you so you can see it. But in verse 2 we read these words. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. 
It shall be the first month of the year to you, and in the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And your lamb shall be without blemish. By the way, that lamb couldn't be a sick one you want to get rid of anyway. You know, it's like saving used tea bags to send to the missionaries. The Lord wants the best of the crop. And, um, and when we honor him with giving him our very best, he is honored and he blesses us. But your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from among the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day. They would keep it from, uh, from the first day until the 14th day to make sure it wasn't sick, uh, that it wasn't having some blemishes and problems and so forth. But, and by the way, Jesus showed himself amongst us, not to be a man of sin. In him was no sin whatsoever. He lived among us as over those 14 days. We beheld his glory. Uh, but the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses where, where they shall eat it. It's the Lord's Passover. And um, it's very interesting. Some people will think, well, they would almost like a paintbrush would take the blood and, and, and paint above. But the scripture says literally they were to strike it. So they would take this hyssop, which is kind of a weed type of bush, dip it in the blood and strike it against the side posts and against the ones above. And they're actually doing the sign of the cross without even knowing it. They had no idea that the Lamb of God, that the Lord Jesus Christ would come. And uh, beautiful pictures in the Old Testament. As somebody says, if you look carefully, you'll see Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. That's true. Um, I can tell you so many instances where uh, Scripture was written, and it reminds me of my Savior, you know. I think of even when Noah put the dove out of his, out of his, out of the ark, and it went, came back, had no place to land. The first thing he sent out was a raven, and it was, it never came back. He could land on dead flesh in the water, and it was just fine, you know. Kind of reminds us of Satan. But the dove came back the second time with an olive leaf plucked off, and that olive leaf, olive is olive oil, is, speaks of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's talking about the rapture. I think at least a preview, a picture. And uh, the third time that he sent the dove out, it didn't return. It established its own kingdom. Anyway, all those things remind us of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and his ministry. Uh, but they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and upon the doorposts of the house, uh, the upper doorposts, and uh, wherein they shall eat it. And it's the Lord's Passover, the Feast of Passover. The Lord said, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and uh, I will smite all the firstborn uh, in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment on the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood had to be applied. It wasn't just enough to believe it in your head. It had to be applied. It speaks of personal faith. Uh, we must by faith receive Christ. And I tell you, just going to church is great, but it doesn't cut it. There has to be a, a moment in time where you say, Lord Jesus, I know you died for me, and I ask you to save me. Come into my heart. And I, I would plead with you this morning, if, 
If you know these things, but you never come to that moment of saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Do it. Don't wait. And by the way, the older you get, the harder it is. So don't put this off. And you little guys, don't put this off. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Well, anyway, God said to him, back in Exodus, This day shall be unto you for a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast and an ordinance forever. Well, now the seven different feasts of Jehovah were presented in Leviticus 23. You can read them sometime. And the first one was the Passover. We talked about that. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim to their, in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month, that evening is the Lord's Passover. And the second one, the day after that, was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Actually, that was a feast that lasted seven days, and they were to eat unleavened bread. We'll talk about that. But it began on the fifteenth day of the same month, right after the day of Passover. And for seven days they were to eat unleavened bread. And the first day you shall have a holy convocation, like a Sabbath. You do no work on that day. Uh, in the scriptures, by the way, leaven speaks of, speaks of sin. Uh, leaven in bread, of course, makes it rise. But leaven is almost like one, one rotten apple in a barrel of apples. It will affect everything. And, and leaven is a picture of sin and what it, what it does to us. And during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, all leaven was put out of the house. This may seem kind of silly, but uh, the Jewish people, then and even now, some of this goes on, but they will sprinkle, uh, sprinkle this little pieces of leaven around the house. Now this, you know, during Easter, mom and dad hide eggs, and, and we do that with our grandkids. They started out when they were this age. And now they're all out of college, and we're going to hide eggs, Grandpa. <laughs> and they sell. They're, they're 20 years old, and they want us to hide eggs, you know, so we do it. I don't like the Easter Bunny. I don't want anything to detract away from the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection. But they love that. But in those days, the kids would go, and they would sprinkle leaven in, you know, behind the couch. And Mom had to go through and sweep the whole house out, almost like spring cleaning. Got to get the leaven out of the house. By the way, it's a good motivation for spring cleaning, you know. Um, if you guys want to get your wife to clean the house up, just pick up some uh, some mouse droppings and drop them here, drop them there. She'll find it, you know. She'll clean the place up. But that's what they would do. It was a religious thing uh, that they did every year. They would sweep the house out and get all the leather. It's, it's kind of a symbolic thing of, as a word, it sit on your life. But leaven speaks of sin, and it separates sinners from, from God. Um, on the cross, when Jesus died on that cross, he became separated from God the Father. Uh, that may not sound like much to us, but remember that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are eternal. They've always been in perfect harmony. Three persons, one God. I don't understand it, but that's the way it is. And they have never been separated from each other. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, it's because the scripture tells us, God has made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, it's an incredible thing. But you know, the holiness of God demands justice. 
And God being holy can't just say, well, uh, I'm just going to look the other way. And, you know, I know your heart is basically good. And, you know, everybody will go to heaven. And I just, uh, you know, it's almost like a grandma's paddle. You know what a grandma's paddle is? You know what a grandma's paddle is? It's a big set with a big uh, cushion on it. You know, grab a spaddle, you know. It's something that wouldn't hurt. Never, 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 never hurt a child, you know. Uh, and, and people have this idea about God. Well, God will just, yeah, just forget it. No, God is infinite in all his ways. He's infinite in grace and love and mercy and justice. He can't just look at the other way. The scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. Somebody has to pay the price and experience the wrath of God against sin. And the most incredible thought that I can come up with is the fact that all our sins, whether you're a kid, teenager, parents, grandparents, our sins were transferred to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? And by the way, it wasn't just the sin of a couple of us that are elect. The scripture says, that he's the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but the sins of the, the whole world. He paid the price, whether people accept it or not, he paid the price. And somebody has suggested that Jesus, being the eternal God, may have suffered enough on the cross, the same that we would, billions of us, would suffer through eternity in hell. He experienced the wrath of God it's beyond my comprehension. God himself says, I will pay for the penalty of sin. I will take the wrath of Almighty God, and I will do it because I love you. Uh, that's an incredible thing. And because of that, uh, there, was a, there was almost like a collision on the cross. God wanted to show his love, his grace, and his mercy, but he has to be just. And they banged heads on the cross. So here, all our sins are, are sent to Jesus on the cross. He wants to show his love. And uh, the remarkable thing is that when we believe that with all of our hearts, he transfers to us his righteousness. What a deal. He takes my sin and gives me his righteousness. Eternal life, forgiveness, sonship, uh, the promises of, of the scriptures, they can go on and on. But the blood of Jesus Christ... God's Son cleanses from all sin. I hope you remember that illustration. Uh, Jesus, He took your sin, and He, in response to faith, trusting Him, He gives us His righteousness. Remarkable thing. The holiness, the justice of God are satisfied. Well, there was the Feast of Passover, the Feast of, of Unleavened Bread, and then there was a third one. And this happened the first Sunday, right after uh, Passover and unleavened bread is called the Feast of First Fruits. He says, When you come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. And then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits. That'd be a bundle of wheat for you guys that are uh, maybe a couple stalks of corn, you know. But you'd bring it to the priest and you would wave it before the Lord and I think put it on the altar and it would burn as sacrifice unto the Lord. Uh, he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the, on the next day, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Um, the Feast of First Fruits represents life that springs forth from death. And you know the scripture where it talks about, except a seed enter the ground and die, it cannot, be, it cannot increase. 
That's exactly what Jesus did. And so this, this, this uh, feast of first fruits is uh, symbolic and represents the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the here's the interesting thing about this. I've been troubled for years. I mean, for 40 years I've thought about this. The tradition is that Jesus died on Good Friday. Most of you know that between Friday and Sunday, you cannot count three days and three nights. It's not there. How could Jesus be buried Friday evening before 6 o'clock? And he's in the tomb one day and he's resurrected the first day of the week. Tradition, sometimes we hang on tradition like it's a holy cop, and it's not. And when Jesus said he would be crucified and, and buried three days and three nights, I have to believe the scripture. Now Jesus said specifically, as Jonah was three days, three nights, in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days, three nights, in the heart of the earth. Was Jesus mistaken? I don't think so. Did Jesus misspeak himself maybe? Didn't mean to say that? I don't think so. Uh, was Jesus a false prophet? We know better than that, don't we? Um, if Jesus was crucified on Friday, he could not have been in the tomb three days and three nights uh, and raised the first day of the week. Um, three days and three nights would have, would have been wrong. Had to be crucified, if it's going to be three days and three nights, probably had to be crucified on a Wednesday and in the tomb Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three days, three nights. Um, the Jewish Passover was would have to have been on Thursday. And I wonder if there's any way to confirm that. And uh, it's very interesting, but in England, actually outside of London, there's an observatory called the Greenwich Observatory. And there's also an observatory in Washington, D.C., the U.S. Naval Observatory. The moon is so precise that they can actually go back in history and see when the full moon was, or when there was no moon, or when the first of the moons, they can trace that backwards. Pretty amazing. Um, they can chase those dates back, according to those dates. And so I took the uh, data from, from the Greenwich Observatory. You can find the same with uh, U.S. Naval Observatory. Uh, looking for three days and three nights where Jesus would have been buried for the Passover, unleavened bread, and then the normal Saturday Sabbath and raised the first day of the week. Is, is that historically, did that happen? Uh, so I went back and uh, it's a pretty small print, but in AD 26, uh, the Passover was on Sunday. Well, that wouldn't have worked because if he would have been uh, crucified on Saturday, the day of preparation, put in the tomb on Sunday, well, that'd be seven days before the next first day of the week. It didn't work. So then I went to the next year, 27 AD. Uh, the Passover was on Friday. It wouldn't work. We already know about that, three days and three nights. The following year, in AD 28, on Wednesday, now that's getting closer. Uh, if, he was, if Passover was on Wednesday, he would have been in the tomb. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. No, that's four days. That wouldn't work. Uh, anyway, I went through and, and chased all those dates down. And I found that, without exception, they just don't work three days and three nights. Until I came to the year 
34 AD, and lo and behold, uh, the Passover that year was on Thursday, April 22nd, in the year AD 34. There would have been the Passover, unleavened bread, <coughs> a normal Saturday, <coughs> excuse me, that's three days and three nights. Now I can't say, because uh, I wasn't there, but at least I know it's possible that Jesus could have been in fact in the tomb three days, three nights, and resurrected. Uh, I would rather defend this than I would traditions of men, you know. Uh, I just can't go along with Good Friday. Not for us to commemorate Good Friday, fine. But just remember that the scripture is true, three days, three nights. So Passover would happen on the 14th day of Nisan. Uh, the next day would have been the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the 15th day. And then a normal Saturday Sabbath would have been three days, three nights, and Jesus would have been resurrected. Probably Saturday evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, that's when their Jewish feast days begin. The Passover would begin at 6 o'clock in the evening. And we don't do it that way. We, we do it from midnight. Uh, by the way, I don't think that the angel had to roll the, the stone away for Jesus to get out of the tomb, right? Why do you suppose he rolled the stone away? To let us look in, right? And, and the fascinating thing is that a Jewish custom, if, if you went to a, a Jewish dinner, if the man at the, at the head of the table was done eating, he would crumple up his, his napkin and throw it on the table. That means he's done. You can take all of his plates away and bring dessert, you know. But if he took it and had to get up and, and uh, go take care of some business or something, if he folded that napkin, it means leave it alone, I'll be back. And when they looked into the tomb, the, the face covering was folded neatly and off by itself. That's Jesus' message, hey, I'll be back. <laughs> and he will be back. He's coming back. Praise God for that. This day of preparation will be the day before Passover. And we read in the scripture in John chapter 19, the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation, so that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day. It wasn't Saturday. It was a high day. They besought Pilate that their legs might be broken so that they might be taken away. They didn't want these bodies hanging on the cross. And sometimes it would take two or three days to die. And they, the people that were hanging on the cross would lift themselves up to breathe and then slump back down. And they'd have to be continually doing that. Otherwise they'd suffocate. So if you want them to die quickly, you go along and break their legs. And they did that to the two thieves. The one thief that said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? His legs were broken. It doesn't mean that because you become a Christian, you don't have problems, <laughs> you know? But he had the promise, today you'll be with me in paradise. They came to Jesus and he was already gone. They didn't break his legs. Not a Rome, according to scripture, was, was broken on the Lord Jesus. But the, uh, the Lord Jesus would die on the cross probably about three in the afternoon while the Passover lamb was being slain uh, in the temple. Uh, he fulfilled to the minute, precisely, the Passover lamb. So the Jewish Passover would have, would have to have been on Thursday, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Friday and then the normal Saturday, uh, Saturday Sabbath, to have three days, three nights, resurrection on Sunday. So you might ask the question, what's the big deal? Why do you spend so much time on this? Uh, my only concern is that we take the scriptures literally and believe what God has said 
and forget the traditions of men. Come to the point of saying, this is what it says. And I choose to, to believe what, what Jesus said. As Jonah was in the tomb, or was in the belly of the whale three days, three nights, so must the Son of Man be three days, three nights. Jesus was not mistaken. He was not a false prophet. He was not a liar. He didn't misspeak himself. Well, then the next feast is what's called the Feast of Pentecost. And that was 50 days later. Pentecost means 50 days. And uh, it's quite interesting. Leviticus 23. You shall count unto you from the next day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought to the sheep, which spoke of resurrection, uh, you, you shall count seven Sabbaths, 50 days. For even on, until the next day after the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days, and you shall offer a new meal, offering to the Lord. And then there's a fascinating statement in Leviticus 23. They were to make it with leaven. What did leaven represent? We talked about that. Do any of you kids remember? Leaven, they would sweep it out of the house and uh, on this day of unleavened bread, you can't have leaven in your house. Do you remember what we said leavens represent? Represent sin, didn't it? And here they're making uh, an offering unto the Lord. And on this offering, they were to place leaven in it. That almost seems unheard of. Why would they do that? Um, unleavened bread was used at the Passover, at the Last Supper when Jesus was with his disciples. And all seven days served unleavened bread. Sometimes we use leaven in our communion service. And I guess it's okay. But just don't, don't get into the trap of saying traditionally it doesn't matter. I think the most symbolic means of, of, that, of that, uh, the Lord's table, the Last Supper, would, do, to, would be to remember that it was to be made, in this case, um, with, with leaven. But not for the Passover, when, when Jesus met with his disciples. But on the Feast of Pentecost, uh, they would make this. And you wonder, what does that represent? Well, bread baked with oil and leaven had a very significant meaning. The oil represented the Spirit of God. And the leaven would represent sinful men. And it was a, an incredible thing because remember what happened on the on day of Pentecost? Remember how that on the day of Pentecost the Spirit of God came down? And where did he dwell? Not in a church building. He dwelt in the, in the hearts of sinful men. Men that are redeemed. Men that are saved. But the symbolism that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm glad that you can't Read my mind. Read my thoughts. Because I'm a sinner saved by grace. There are things that about each of us we would really want to share, right? I have a, a headphone set here that if I talk to a group and I want to hear them, I can put that on and turn it up. I can hear what you're thinking, you know? But actually, I wouldn't want to hear what you're thinking because we're all sinners. But to think that the Spirit of God will come upon sinful men and indwell us live with us and, and not not leave us and it brings us to uh, the communion supper that we fellowship and uh, normally we would have you turn to 1st Corinthians chapter 11 but I'm just going to read it the scripture is up here for you and uh, I think you'll get the point here in a minute 
Here's what Paul says. He says, For I have received of the Lord, that which I also received, I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the same manner, also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do is as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, by the way, we're all unworthy, but this is dealing with sins that we hide in our hearts. It's going through the motions. Um, here I'm out of fellowship with my neighbor or my wife or I cheated somebody or whatever. And I'm just going to put that behind. I'm just going to go ahead and take the Lord's table. No, we're, we're to examine ourselves as we'll read. But to take of the cup of the Lord unworthily <clears throat> shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's table. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. In the city of Corinth, the Christians were fighting with each other. There was immorality. There were things going on that should not have been going on. And people would come together and on the Lord's day they would, they would partake of this and fellowship and ignore what they were doing. Some of them got sick, some of them died. And uh, this is pretty serious. This is for Christians to examine our hearts and say, Lord, I know that there are things in my life and I thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sins, but I confess it to you. And with your power, I'd like to forsake it. This is a time of cleansing for the body of Christ. By the way, I, uh, Joel and I know a couple Roger and Gloria Whitaker, and they um, were in Alaska for a number of years as missionaries. They were a Roman Catholic couple. They came to Calvary Church in Grand Rapids. And during that service, they were having communion. And Roger and Gloria had never accepted Christ. And, and Mr. Miles, the speaker, of the, he was the president of our Bible school, he said, you know, if you've never accepted Christ, do it right now. And you can be included in this time of fellowship. Um, if you're not a Christian, this means nothing to you. But if you today will pray and accept and ask Jesus to be your Savior, you can be in, included with us. And I would say the same to you today. Don't just go through the motions. Uh, as a Christian, uh, consider, Lord, reveal to me things that I need to take care of, things that I haven't confessed. Created me a new heart, O oh Lord. And then we can fellowship around that table. But if you're not a believer, you have perfect time to say, Lord Jesus, today, I accept you as my Savior. I believe you died for me, and I, I trust you come into my life. Well, scripture goes on to say, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. The matzah bread used by Jesus at that last supper, there's several things about it. And uh, I picked some up at a store and uh, had to be very careful in selecting this. The first time I did this, 
at a church that we helped to start in Colorado Springs, Grace Bible Church. Years ago, we helped the Lord's table. I didn't know it when I picked it up, but it was spiced with garlic. It was, uh, people took that and they said, <laughs> this doesn't have garlic in it. But there are several things about the matzo bread that the Jewish people would use during the Passover. And that Jesus used when he met with his disciples. Uh, the first thing is that there, it, was, it was made with stripes. The Jewish people don't even recognize this. But when they make this matzo bread, it has stripes. You, if you come up and look at it later, you'll see that there are stripes here. And remember the scripture says that by his stripes we are healed. The Lord Jesus, the bread of life, was striped, whipped, beaten. And uh, the next thing you notice is that it was pierced. There are little holes in it. If you hold it up to the light, you can see. It had little holes all over the place. Jesus was pierced. Amen. He was crucified for your sins and for mine. Then lastly, it was broken. And so when Jesus took that bread and, and broke it, very, very significant, But it, because it speaks of the fact that he was broken. He, he became sin for us. And um, I think that it's significant enough that in preparing the elements, and I'll have two of your men come, Jeff, and you 